Uh, but turn to Luke chapter 13, uh, verses 22 through 30. Jesus is uh, on his way to Jerusalem, and, and he knows exactly he knows exactly where he's going and why he's going. He uh, back in chapter nine, we were told he set his face like a flint to Jerusalem and began to tell his disciples that he must go there and suffer many things, die, and on the third day be raised. Uh, Jesus knew exactly why he was going to Jerusalem, and he was marching there to secure our salvation. But on his way, he passed through towns and villages teaching, and on this occasion, someone asked him a question that we're going to consider today. But before we do, and before we read our text, let's pray and ask for the Lord's help. Uh, Father, uh, a few moments ago, uh, we thanked you for the Bible, and now we ask that you would wield your word in the power of the Spirit and open our ears to hear afresh, or perhaps for the very first time, the voice of Christ speaking to us today. Draw us to him and give us the strength and the ability to respond rightly to all that he would say to us. And it's for Jesus' sake we ask this. Amen. Luke 13, beginning in verse 22. He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able when once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you. I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught us in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first, who will be last. There are four, four parts to this passage that I want to give consideration to. Uh, the question, uh, the challenge, the warning, and the invitation. The question, the challenge, the warning, and the invitation. And let's pick up the question, first of all, in Verse 23, where someone asks, when someone asks Jesus, uh, will only a few be saved? How, how many will be saved? Will it be a large number or a small number? It's a common question, isn't it? It's a question Christians and non-Christians ask. 
uh, some sincerely, some with less sincerity. Uh, Luke doesn't try to explain to us what the precise motives of this individual is on this occasion, but the question is, by its very nature, a somewhat speculative question, isn't it? And Jesus tends to not directly, at least, answer speculative and theoretical questions. Actually, Jesus often gives responses that his questioners didn't expect. Uh, We see an example of that in the chapter before this in Luke chapter 12, where a man comes to Jesus with an inheritance dispute and and, and requests of Jesus, um, look, I've got this dispute with my brother regarding the inheritance. Tell him to give me what's mine. Uh, he, uh, he comes to Jesus with a request, expecting to get a certain response, but he doesn't get the response from Jesus that he was expecting. Uh, he, he does address the man directly for a moment, but then he immediately turns to address the entire crowd, and he uses that man's request to speak to the crowd about the danger of greed and the fact that one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And Jesus is doing something like that here in in Luke chapter 13. And, And notice that it's an individual who asks the question and Jesus uses the question to respond, speak to an entire crowd. Someone asked Jesus, Will only a few be saved? And Jesus said to them. And notice what Jesus is doing then. He's he's taking this somewhat speculative question. And Jesus is getting personal. (laughs) He he takes a a theoretical question and says, no, I'd rather actually talk about you. Because what's more important is where you stand with respect to these things that you're asking about. So just when someone thinks they're going to have an impersonal discussion, or perhaps people in the crowd are, are thinking they can, they can listen into this passively, this sounds like an interesting discussion Jesus is going to be brought into. Jesus turns it around on its, and, and turns to the crowd and says, no, I'm actually going to address all of you. And I think there's something to learn from that from from our Lord. Jesus wasn't interested in standing around and and speculating. some, Some people, this is exactly what they love to do with doctrine and theology. Talk about theoretical questions, speculate, try to show off learning. But Jesus comes along and says, hey, cut it with the speculation. I'm more interested in you. I'm more interested in the necessity that you strive to be a part of this company of the saved that you are asking about. And that's something to learn, I think, from Jesus. If if we care about doctrine and truth in the same way Jesus does, then we will care about what it means for us It's practical relevance for our lives, what it demands of us, what it calls us to do, what it should lead us 
to do. And so notice, first of all, Jesus takes this speculative question and he gets personal, and he gets personal with a challenge. The challenge is there in verse 24. I, I, I laugh when I read this because you, you picture this uh, conversation for a moment. Someone asks Jesus, uh, will only a few be saved? The question's pretty clear. And Jesus responds to the crowd and says, strive to enter the narrow door. Excuse me, Jesus, I'm not sure you heard me correctly. How, how many people will be saved? Is it a lot? Or No, I heard you perfectly clear. Strive to enter the narrow door. Uh, the word translated here for strive is anagonizomai. Uh, it's the Greek word we get our English word agony from. Jesus wants you to agonize over this. He wants you to strive. He wants you to exert yourself, to make every effort to get through this door. Don't, don't rest. Don't stand around wasting time debating speculative questions. Don't, don't make the mistake of telling yourself, I've got all the time in the world. I can worry about entering later. Jesus is saying to the crowd and to us, get through the door before it's too late. And the, the narrow door, it's, it's not defined for us here in this passage, but it's clearly the, the door into salvation. And Jesus talks in similar terms in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 7, where he says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction and many enter through it. And in John chapter 10, he speaks in terms of sheep and a pasture. And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Yeah, Jesus is the door to enter into salvation. And Jesus is, notice, the door. Not a door. Not one door among many doors. But the door. And it's not a wide door. It's a narrow door, Jesus says. So you think about that. I, I think Jesus is applying that to our own context. He is certainly confronting the, the, the pluralism and the relativism of our times. You know, people say there are many doors and each of those doors opens up to salvation. So imagine with me for a moment that each of the different religions of, of the world had its own door and they're all in along the same hallway, door after door, religion after religion. Our culture says to you, Take your pick. It's a, it's a matter of personal preference. It actually doesn't matter which door you choose to enter through because, well, we'll all end up in the same place. Except maybe for some particularly bad individuals. But for the most part, choose any door you want and it leads to the same destination. Uh, but Jesus is saying here loud and clear that that's not right. There's only one door 
And it's not a wide door. It's a narrow door. You can, in fact, easily miss this door. When I was, uh, when I was in high school, um, I used to go with my friends to, I think this is what it was called. It's what we called it, at least Bears Cave. Uh, out near uh, Blairsville. Has anybody been to Bears Cave? I'm getting blank. I see one person, so you'll know what I'm talking about. I believe it was on private property, but it was open to the public, and I've been told it's no longer open, so don't try to go there anymore. Uh, but it was, uh, it, was, uh, uh, it was a cave on the top of a hill with lots of, I mean, there were, you could go in for hours. And we used to go in for hours, and on one occasion, uh, some of us, uh, our batteries died in our flashlights. That's a story for another time. Um, but while we were in Bear's Cave, there's one particular cavern I, I want to tell you about uh, that we discovered. It, you, um, once you entered in, it was, a, <clears throat> it was a vast space. I mean, you, you could have fit well over 100 people in, the, in, in this cavern, but the only way in was through one narrow tunnel. To actually get into the space, you had to climb through this tunnel, get down on your, your stomach. And there's actually a section where the rock was pushing down on you while you squeezed through to get into this space. And you could easily miss this cavern because it, the entrance, first of all, it was in the dark. But this entrance was just a small hole in the side of the rock. But Jesus is saying salvation is something like that. Rather than saying you can't miss it, Jesus says you can miss it very easily and if you don't strive to enter it, you will miss it entirely. In our, in our pluralistic world, you know, people, people complain, perhaps some of us complain, about Christianity being, what's the word that people use sometimes? Christianity is narrow. You know, it's a pejorative in our culture today. Nobody wants to be narrow. No one wants to be narrow-minded. And certainly we would agree we don't want to be unnecessarily narrow-minded and exclusive where we shouldn't be exclusive. But I simply want you to recognize that Jesus says the door into salvation is a narrow door. There's only one narrow door that leads to salvation. And if Jesus is who he says he is, friends, that has to be right. It has to be right. Because Jesus alone has done what needs to be done to open up the way of salvation for sinners. Uh, Jesus alone lived a sinless life. Jesus alone offered an acceptable sacrifice upon the cross. For his people. Jesus alone was raised by God and took hold of everlasting life. And so Jesus alone is the one who is able to provide the salvation that we need. And I know that's not a very popular position to take today because people have maybe even said to you, I, I hope you're not one of those Christians who believes Jesus is the only way. But isn't it true that's exactly what we do believe? That Jesus is the only way because Jesus himself said it. 
And, and we believe it because of what salvation demands, what salvation requires. What, what do we as sinners need in order to be saved if our fundamental problem is the problem of our sin and rebellion against God and the way sin corrupts us? We need a, we need a new nature. Uh, we need our sins to be cleansed. We need a perfect record with a sinless, holy God. Who is able to supply those things but Christ and Christ alone? Who took hold of not just future bodily resurrection life for his people, but new spiritual life in the here and now for those who are savingly united to him? Who has a perfect record before God but Jesus alone? And who but Jesus alone offered up himself as an acceptable sacrifice for sinners? But you see, in the grand scheme of things, in this big wide world, it seems so narrow. How, how can you say that this Galilean man is the only door in the world to enter into salvation? And I think we begin by at least saying because it's what Jesus himself said. But you see, some people insist on on finding their own way to God, some of us here today might wrestle with the idea that there is only one door leading to eternal life. But imagine, imagine if someone came to your home and they wanted to come into your house, but they're standing on your front porch and instead of entering into your home, at your invitation, they stand on the porch and complain that there's only one door on your front porch to enter in. Can you imagine it? Just imagine somebody saying to you, I don't want to go through that door. Make me another way of access. Imagine how foolish it would be for them to refuse to enter because there's only one front door on your house. And yet, dear friends, this is exactly what people do with God when it comes to entering into his kingdom. They complain about the door. And so you see, the problem, the problem is not God. The problem is not the door. The problem is not Jesus' power to save. The problem is sinful hearts who reject the way of entry. You know, people, people who want to get in their own way, like, uh, like formalist and hypocrisy. Some of you will know who I'm talking about because you just read that section of Pilgrim's Progress a couple of months ago. Formalist and hypocrisy, you remember, instead of entering through the wicked gate, the narrow gate, they hopped the fence to get on the narrow way that leads to eternal life. Formalist and hypocrisy represent people who refuse to go through Jesus to enter into God's kingdom. I want you to listen to this conversation between Christian and formalist and hypocrisy this was written in the 17th century, but I think as you listen to it, you'll think, man, this, this could have been written yesterday. Uh, Christian challenges them and says, uh, you know, what, what do you think you're doing? You can't, you can't jump over the fence and make your own way into uh, the kingdom. And they said to him, what does it matter how we get in? 
If we are in, we are in. You came in through the narrow gate and we came over the wall. And since we are both in, who is to say that your chosen path is better than ours? And Christian said to formalist and hypocrisy, I walk by the rule of my master. You walk by the rude working of your own notions. You are condemned as thieves already by the Lord of the way. Therefore, I doubt you will be found as true men at the end of the journey. You came in by yourselves without his direction and will go out by yourselves without his mercy. And so to the speculative question, how many will be saved? Jesus gives this crowd and us this challenge, strive to enter through the narrow door. And then he attaches a warning to the challenge. In verse 24, the second part of it, many will seek to enter and will not be able. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean there will be some people who try to enter in the right way into the kingdom of God, but in the end were hindered and unable? Does it mean that at the end, there will, people, there will be people who sincerely desired to be a part of the kingdom of God and yet were denied? Not for a moment. Not, that's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is emphasizing is a time limit on the offer to enter in. I think that's what Jesus is saying in verses 24 and 25. And you, I think you need to read those verses together to understand Jesus Rightly, the, the sentence structure in the ESV, and I think it's the same way in the NIV, uh, goes like this. It makes it a little bit more difficult to hear what Jesus is actually saying. If you start with the second half of verse 24, uh, for many, in the ESV it says, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and not be able, period. Right? That's the end of the sentence. But that period, of course, isn't there in the Greek. It's put there by English translators. So what I want you to do is just remove that period, and I think you can hear more clearly what Jesus is saying. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and not be able when once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock. Many will want to enter when it's too late. Jesus is saying. And so the point that Jesus is making to, to us is that there is going to come a time in your experience when the door to enter into salvation, the door to enter into God's kingdom is shut to you. Whether by death or the return of Christ, the door is not going to remain open Forever and so strive, agonize to enter while there's still time. Notice, notice that when the door is shut, the people outside are surprised that the door is closed to them. Verse 25, Lord, open to us and, and they'll, they will hear. I do not know where you come from. 
And they start to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. We've had associations with you, Jesus. We've spent time with you. We've, we've sat at table with you. But he will say to them, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. Be kind of like receiving a, a wedding invitation that requests an RSVP. And uh, you say, well, you know, I'm, I'm really close with uh, Joe and Sally. I don't need to RSVP. I'll just show up and there will be a place for me there. And so the day of the wedding comes and you go to the reception and you, you walk into the reception hall and you look at that board that has the table arrangements and you're searching for your name, but it's, it's not there. So you go into the reception hall and you start trying to find your name on one of the tables, but it's, it's not there. A great banquet, but your name is not on the list. And the people living during Jesus' day were making this mistake. And people in the church today are making this mistake. I mean, you've got to, you've got to read this in light of the Old Testament. The people of Israel... Um, knew that everything was moving towards this great banquet and, and eternal fellowship with God that we'll talk about here in just a, f- a few moments. But because God had given the people of Israel the, the Bible, the covenants, the promises, the prophets, they thought and assumed, we're in. We're definitely in. Just because of who we are. I've got my ticket. And Jesus is saying to them, No, you're not. No, you don't. And notice Jesus is not talking to the lost in general here. He's not talking to the far-off person in the Amazon who has never heard the gospel. He's talking about individuals among the covenant people of God who think that they are guaranteed a seat at the banquet, but when the day comes... They are shut out asking why. That's what Jesus is saying here. They, they thought they were in. They, they had the Bible. They came to church. They came to worship. They lived a decent moral life. And in the end, they were locked out. Now, why were they shut out? The reason they were shut out is because Jesus did not know them. I think... I think the four most terrifying words you can hear put together are the words that Jesus is going to speak to some at the end when he says, I never knew you. I never knew you. Jesus, I I came to church. I listened to your word. I tried to live a decent life. I even made a profession of faith. Those things are important, but Jesus is pointing out the fact that what really matters is that you know Jesus, and even more importantly than that, that you are known by him. They are strangers to him. People among the covenant community of God's people, strangers 
to Jesus. And they're shocked by this. They, they assumed they knew him and, and that he knew them because they had some acquaintance with Jesus. They listened to his teaching. Some of them shared table fellowship with him. They knew Jesus superficially. But they didn't know Jesus savingly. They didn't know him personally. And so they presumed on outward privileges. I think this is such a, a sobering warning from Jesus, many people who think they know Jesus, when they try to enter into God's house and enjoy the great banqueting feast at the end of the age, will find themselves on the outside. And this is, I think, a warning not just for people living in, in Jesus' day. It's a warning that is given to people within the church today. I, I uh, remember, uh, I think it's Matthew Henry. This is just coming to my mind. Matthew, Matthew Henry used to lead his, his children in family worship. And he is recorded, at least, as saying to his children, imagine how sobering this would be, seated with his young children, And he talked to them about the final judgment seat of Christ when the peoples are separated on the right and the left. And Matthew Henry looked in his children's eyes and he said, don't let me see you on the wrong side. Dear friends, I want to say that to you today. Strive to enter the narrow door before it's too late. You know, there are some people, perhaps, I'm assuming this, but probably some people in the back room, and the only thing that's made the difference between them being out there and in here with us is that they haven't passed through the door. God has ordained a door. The name of that door is Jesus Christ, and Jesus himself is calling you to strive to come to him and to find salvation through him. But Jesus adds to the warning by describing what it will be like to be shut out from God's kingdom. To make sure we know what is at stake, Jesus speaks with clarity in verse 28. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves are cast out. Jesus is speaking about hell. And he's telling us that hell will be a place of remorse as people cry bitter tears of grief for all that they have lost. There's some popular teaching about hell today saying that hell is locked from the inside. I just don't see that uh, on the basis of what Jesus is saying. It's a place of remorse and regret. It will be a place, yes, of rage as people gnash their teeth in angry defiance against God. But it will be a place of regret as people mourn the folly of their unbelief. See, Jesus describes the people as having some awareness of what they are missing out on. They see the guests arriving at the banquet while they are locked out. And the really tragic thing 
is that these people who are on the outside looking in received the invitation to come in. And that means hell, among, among other things for sure, is a place of lost opportunity. You know, this discourse, it got started when a man asked a theoretical question about how many people will be saved. And rather than talking about abstract numbers, Jesus made the issue profoundly personal and urged the crowd to strive to enter through the narrow door. He challenged them and he's challenging us about our need to find the one narrow door to salvation and to go through it before it's too late. Jesus is reminding us, dear friends, that time is, time is running out. And this is not a scare strategy. This is not an attempt to twist your arm into the kingdom of God. It's simply what Jesus is saying because he loves sinners. You know, young people especially, we, we don't like to think about this, do we? we? We like to think, oh, my whole life is before me. I've got all the time in the world to think about these matters. No, you don't. I mean, time isn't guaranteed to you. You are not guaranteed to make it to, you know, 70 or 80 or 90 and live a happy and full life. And so Jesus is saying time is running out. And if some of you have been putting off Jesus' invitation then you need to hear what he's saying. There is a time limit to the free offer of salvation. And one day, the door is going to be shut to you and you are either going to be on the inside or you are going to be left on the outside looking in. And it's a matter of urgency to Jesus. And I'll be honest, one of the most discouraging things to me in Christian ministry is to see that this is not an urgency to most people. I, mean, I, I, I have conversations sometimes with people, and to be honest, I want to take hold of them, and I want to shake them. <laughs> but I know that's not going to change their hearts. But I want to say, don't you, don't you realize what we are talking about right now? We're not talking about speculative, abstract, theological debates. We are talking about life and death. We are talking about eternity. We're talking about heaven and hell. We're talking about you. Stop putting it off, Jesus is saying. But then notice, notice what he goes on. It's interesting what Jesus does because he's, he's talked about the narrow door and now he talks about how people from far and wide are going to come and enter through this narrow door. We, we get a glimpse of what it will look like to enter God's house at the end of the age. Believers from all over the world will be there. Take a look at verse 29. People will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. It's a, it's a narrow door, but people from all over the world are going to enter in and they're going to enjoy food and fellowship with God. The imagery is of, of the great banquet that we talked about a few moment, moments ago, a great banquet that is rooted in the Old Testament, particularly 
The book of Isaiah, Isaiah prophesied that people will come to God from far away, from all over the world, from the corners of the earth, north, south, east, west. He, he also said that the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast with rich food and aged wine. And so it's a prophecy about, yes, about the inclusion of the Gentiles, non, non-Jews, people like you and me, at least most of us, they are the last who will be first. This is, I think, actually as close as Jesus gets to answering the original question of how many will be saved. By the invitation of God, salvation is not just for a single people group. It is for everyone who enters the narrow door through faith in Jesus Christ. So isn't it interesting, in this passage we see on the one hand the exclusivity of the Christian faith. There's one door and that one door is narrow. You come through that door and and you have salvation. You stay outside that door and you don't. But then on the other hand, Jesus is showing us, I think, that Christianity is the most inclusive religion in all of the world. Because you don't have to be a part of a particular people group or ethnic group. You don't have to be from a particular culture or social status. You don't have to have a certain level of smarts or importance in the eyes of the world. All you need to do is recognize, I'm a sinner. And Jesus is the only one who can do anything about my sin. I want, to, I want to tell a story. Some of you will recognize this story about the importance of timeliness when it comes to striving through the door. There's a story told that the devil was speaking to uh, three apprentice devils who were going to go into the world to seek to ruin people and keep them from entering into the kingdom of God. And and so the devil asks the first apprentice, what, what are you going to do? And he said, well, I'm going to go out and I'm going, to, I'm going to convince people that there's no heaven. And the devil says, that's not, that's not going to work because everybody knows that there is a heaven and everybody in some sense wants to be there. So he asks the second apprentice and the second uh, one says, well, I'm going to go out and I'm going to convince everybody that there's no hell. And the devil says that's a failing strategy too because God has placed an awareness within every human heart that a day of reckoning is coming. That what is wrong must be dealt with because God is holy and just and righteous. And so he looks at the third apprentice and he says, well, I'm going to go out into all of the world and I'm going to start telling people just just relax a little bit. Sit back and enjoy yourself. You've got all the time in the world to live your life. You can can think about those other things another time. And the devil looked at him and said, go and you will destroy millions. Dear friends, Jesus is speaking to us in this passage. And everyone here today is challenged to strive 
to enter through the narrow door. And if you have set your feet by God's grace upon the narrow way leading to salvation, Jesus is also calling you to continue to strive to stay stay on the straight and narrow way. But Jesus is also warning everyone about the danger of waiting. And after giving everyone here a glimpse of the eternal joy and bliss in heaven and the fellowship that awaits those who have gone through this door, Jesus extends an invitation to each and every one of us today to come to him and to enter through the narrow door. My friend, enter before it's too late.